The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. So I've got a bad back, which includes a really bad leg. Ah, oh, come on. Where is your love and compassion? Unbelievable. So I might have to sit down. I also might look blank at times because I'm slightly spaced out. But um, hey-ho, but we're going to have a great time together. And um, I'm glad you've now heard that. And I'm sure you're looking forward to what um, I'm going to talk about for the next 20 minutes, half an hour. So um, as I've already said, we've, I've now got a helicopter pilot mic on, which is a bit weird because I'm normally like that. What we've said already is this whole idea of Jesus encounters. And so when we do our venue Sundays, we're going to focus on that except for the one in May, which is Pentecost Sunday, and we're actually going to look at Pentecost, what it means, what happened, and, um, and we've got the Marathon Sunday coming up as well. So please come along to that, have bacon sandwiches, have a right good laugh and cheer on the runners, and maybe try and trip one or two up as they go along. Don't know. But, um, you know, it might be a good sport in itself. Um, anyway, so... Jesus Encounters. So this is the first one we're going to do. And, um, and the reason why we thought as a, as a team here in Hastings it'd be good to do that is encourage each other in the fact that our own Jesus Encounter really matters. And to get us thinking about those times, you haven't encountered Jesus just once, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I'm sure Jesus would have encountered you and you would have encountered him quite a few times along your way in your Christian life. Okay, so to get us to remind ourselves to think about those points and moments because they're really powerful. They're powerful for you, they're powerful for the person sitting next to you and other Christians, and they're powerful for those people that don't know Jesus, because they actually tell something that Jesus is alive. He is actually alive and kicking and at work today, just as much as he was in this book called the Bible. Okay? So as we talk through these different Jesus encounters that we find in the Bible, hopefully it'll encourage us to think about our own. And the one we're going to talk about today is a well-known character. I actually feel sorry for him because he's been labelled something. Now, I don't know if you've ever been labelled something. Ever, anyone ever dropped something and all of a sudden people think you're clumsy? So you might have dropped something once or twice and then kind of, this is perhaps this is a personal testimony, but like you drop something once or twice and someone says, oh, look, you're clumsy. And the next time some, they introduce you to someone, this is Paul, and he's a bit clumsy. And um, <laughs> just me? Probably just me. Okay, but labels sometimes are not overly helpful. Can you stick that label up? Anyone would like a cup of urinal? That's an actual drink. And um, so if, if you're ever thirsty in this country, I would kind of suggest that you, I don't know, you might want to give that a try, you might not. But that sometimes labels don't actually help the situation. And the situation that I feel most passionately about, if I'm honest, and I wish he was alive today, is poor old Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples who was called Doubting Thomas. I'm sure most of us know Thomas as Doubting Thomas, but we're going to look at him, we're going to look at a couple of his encounters and actually wonder if Doubting Thomas is a fair name for him. There's so much we can learn from his encounters and his interactions with Jesus that really brings alive what it means to follow this rabbi, what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, so we're going to look at a couple of those. And if you want a title for the talk, I know some of us do. The title is this, I have questions, you say. Put your hand up if you've ever had any questions about God. Okay, is that all? (laughs) I've got questions, you might say. 
That's the point, Jesus says in response. The point is you've got questions. That's the whole point. I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to open it up as we go along. And hopefully we'll discover that Thomas was one of the committed, genuine, inquisitive, truth-loving, courageous and down-to-earth people in the Bible. Actually, I recognise Thomas in a lot of people that I meet every day. I think I recognise Thomas in myself in so many different ways and shapes and forms. And that, for me, is one of the reasons why I think it's so good, so good to actually talk about him. So the first thing we're going to look at isn't actually found in the Bible. (gasps) It's not actually found in the Bible. But the fact that we know Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples, he was one of the twelve, he was chosen, and from history, we can bring these two two things together and possibly conclude what I'm about to share as one of the first instances where Thomas gets to know Jesus and Jesus gets to know Thomas a bit. There's a word that Jesus uses about 13 times in the Gospels. He used it for um, Peter, Andrew, James and John. And that term is follow me. Okay? That term is follow me. And some of you might know the kind of historical context of what those two words actually mean and their importance. In Jesus' time, in the region that he was born, in the region that he grew up, Also in the region that Thomas was born and in the region that he grew up, they were incredibly God-fearing, God-loving people. More than our country, okay? This was rooted in who they were. Knowing God was a thing and it was deeply important. So much so that they devoted themselves to what is called the Torah. The Torah is is the first five books of the Old Testament. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would have known those five books like no other. They devoured these things. To the point where if they had a newborn baby, it wouldn't be uncommon for the parents and the grandparents to literally be reciting phrases of the Torah over their children. And to the point where, and I find this quite funny, and to the point where, more often than not, the first words that would come out of the child's mouth would be from the Bible. Now, I remember whispering into my son's ear when he was little, say, Daddy, first. Daddy. Don't say, Mummy. Say, Daddy. What if he turned around and says, Moses, or something like that? It'd just be really weird. But, like, kind of the first words that were often spoken would be, of that child, would be from the Torah because it was so well read, it was so deeply entrenched in who they were as a people. So, the first five years they would have grown up, when they reach age five, their first part of formal education started and they would be sent to the synagogue. And the synagogue is a place where they would learn to read and they would learn to write. And that would all be from the first five books of the Old Testament. And here as well, they would learn the Hebrew alphabet and the writing and the fundamental teachings of the Torah, those first five books. They would do that between age five and age ten. By age ten, what would normally happen is the son sometimes would go off and do whatever the dad did as a family trade. The daughter would go and work alongside the mum and get to know some different things. Unless you were really bright. If you were really bright, you stayed on for another five years. And you were taught even more about the Torah. 
more understanding, more fundamental elements of what it meant to follow God and his law. So this carried on up until the age of 15. Most people at age 15 then left, went to the family trade, carried on that kind of stuff. Unless you were a cut above the rest. If you showed incredible talent and incredible brightness, what you would then do is look for a rabbi, a teacher that you could follow and would actually kind of open up more and more and more of what the teaching of the Torah was. And not only that, you would devote your next 15 years to following that rabbi. You would live with them. They would shape you. And the whole point was you became like that person that you were following. And the way that a rabbi would say, come on and come follow me, funny enough, would be they would look at the student that was a cut above everyone else and they would literally say, follow me. And then you meet Thomas and you meet the disciples. Most of them were about 18, 19, 20, early 20s, something like that. Clearly, they hadn't made the cut for a rabbi to say, come follow me. They weren't good enough. They weren't bright enough. They weren't clever enough. They didn't grasp whatever they needed to. They didn't show whatever they needed to for actually a rabbi to come and say, you come follow me now and I will, you can become like me. Jesus comes along. Most of them were already in their family trade. They were fishermen. They were doing the family trade. Jesus comes along, a rabbi, and says, come follow me. No wonder some of them left their family business straight away because they've been given a second chance to learn some fundamental deep things about God himself. And the reason why I think that about Thomas is that he was one of the twelve. Although it's not recorded, I think historically we can get a bit of an idea that it's possible Jesus has somewhere said to Thomas, you've had this growing up. You don't need to be a cut above the rest to come and follow me. I'm going to take you as you are and you come follow me and learn from me and become like me. What an opportunity for this guy. What an opportunity for Thomas. The first encounter, this first thing that possibly happened at that point is Thomas is accepted for exactly who he is by a rabbi in a culture where that doesn't normally happen. Jesus accepts people right where they are and says, come follow me. Holding this in mind, we're going to look at a couple of encounters. Okay? The first one actually recorded in the Bible. I want to call Thomas the brave and the loyal. Okay? By this point, Thomas had already learned a lot from Jesus and had been changed along the way. He's becoming like his teacher. He's becoming like his rabbi. Thomas, Jesus and the disciples are in the Jordan Valley and they've heard news that their friend Lazarus had died. Lazarus had died in Bethany, which was actually some quite a distance away from actually where they were at this point. The last time they were in Bethany, Jesus and his disciples, a group of religious leaders, tried to kill Jesus himself by stoning him. Okay? So previously, Jesus was attempted assassination by stoning of Jesus. They go away in that same region. Lazarus dies. It says this in John 11, 7 to 8. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I've got an idea. Let's go back to Judea. 
But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you are willing to go back. Point one, why on earth would you want to go back to the place where a load of people just tried to kill you? Like, this is a rabbi you're following and he's saying, actually, we're going to go back to that place where, you know, we was really in danger. Why would you want to do that? Point one. Point two, what on earth are you going to do? What's so important, Jesus, that you would risk your life and ours to go back to that place to see someone that's dead? I understand we were close, but literally, if we go back there, it's not overly safe. Out of the 12, only one voice is heard. You hear one voice speak up at that moment in time. And Thomas says to the rest of his disciples, the rest of the disciples, don't go up to Jesus and whisper in Jesus' ear. He actually says in a group of people, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is pretty much saying, do you know what? He's our rabbi. He's the one we've got to follow. There's something deep and incredibly meaningful at this moment in time for Thomas to speak up among a group and say, wait a minute, we're all freaking out, but we need to follow him. And if he goes there, then we die. If Jesus dies, they have to go for us first. If he dies, we die. Words like loyalty, love, sacrifice, commitment come to mind, but in my mind, so do words like despair, fear and trepidation. I'm sure Thomas won't sit in there saying, oh yeah, let's go, let's go. As if you're going to do that. But one voice speaks up, that commitment and loyalty to follow someone that was incredibly important and says, if you're going to die, I'll go with you. Let's take a moment to consider Thomas's loyalty. Here was a point in time where going through the disciples' minds was the moment where Jesus originally said, come follow me. And Jesus is now taking them to the possibility of death. What a moment of choice. And only Thomas speak probably through an inner choice that he has made. And that's because loyalty isn't a personality trait. Loyalty is the choice of the will to be committed to the one you're following. It's a choice of the will. It's a deep, deep thing that says... We need to follow him. Let's take a minute to consider his bravery. If they kill Jesus, they'll have to kill me too. I've already said loyalty, love, sacrifice, commitment come to mind. And then in the end, you find that the disciples did go with Jesus. They walk into Bethany to the family of Lazarus and bring comfort and also into the company of many, many, many Jews. Jesus comforted the family. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And through this event, Jesus brings a core teaching. And this is something I'm sure a lot of us would recognise. This is the point where they hear Jesus himself say, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And whoever believes in me, even though he dies, and whoever, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he says, do you believe this? One of the core teachings of Jesus comes out at that point. And so in retrospect, now you see why Jesus went back. 
and the disciples in retrospect, I'm so glad that we committed to him because something majorly important has just happened in this encounter where Thomas's bravery and loyalty came out. Second bit. Are you with me? Second bit. Thomas the inquisitive. I love inquisitive, curious people. We've already known Thomas is following Jesus. Okay? He wants to become like Jesus. That's what you did. He wants to become like Jesus. And surely if you're following someone and you're wanting to learn, you're going to want to ask questions. Especially if someone's going to take you into a place where you're possibly going to die. I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. You better have a good reason for this and what is it? If you want to become like someone and understand more, I don't think you're going to get verified by just sitting there quiet. You've got to get curious and inquisitive about stuff to understand what's happening. Learning takes engagement. I have questions, says Thomas. And Jesus says, that's the point. How comfortable are you? Am I? Are we? With asking questions, or does fear take over, okay? Fear of not looking like you know something that perhaps you should. Anyone felt that? Okay, good. Especially in the eyes of others around you. Fear of judgment. That you're going to be judged by other people who you should know that. And you carry this stuff inside. Perhaps you feel that to be accepted, you need to know everything. In church, do you feel like you need to know everything to be accepted? Even though deep down you think, actually, I don't know everything. And I might even have questions around things that seem really simple. Perhaps you feel like if you don't admit you don't know something and you ask a question, then you might be the only person in the room that doesn't know and it means you're stupid. Or done something wrong and you might look like a public idiot. This is my therapy time. I, I, I genuinely feel that sometimes. I'm scared. Am I supposed to have all this together and have all the answers? And so in a group and in a context in church sometimes, there can be a pressure that we're supposed to know everything. But I have questions. And Jesus is over here saying, that's the point. If you knew it all, you wouldn't need a rabbi to follow. If you knew it all, you wouldn't have to have him teach you along the way. I have questions. Jesus is over there saying, that's the point. If you've got it all together, crack on. If you haven't, come and follow me. Come and follow me. John 14, 1 to 7. The disciples have just found out Jesus is probably going to his death. Jesus said a few things and they need comfort. So Jesus comforts his disciples. And he ends with this statement. You know the place where I'm going. You know the place where I'm going. What time are we on? How long have I got? Okay, I was going to show a video, but I haven't got time. You know the place where I'm going. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. Clearly, the disciples are sitting there saying, we have not got a clue where you're going, let alone how to get there. They're sitting there like, we don't, what are you, I don't understand what you're saying. Here comes the voice of the twelve. Thomas. Thomas speaks up. Okay? Thomas speaks up. What did he say? Pretty much that. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Brave Thomas, 
Jesus, what are you talking about? I want to understand. So I need to ask a question. And then verse 6 and 7. Jesus then makes it known that he is not talking about passing on a sat-nav postcode to get to McDonald's. He is saying that he knows the way to the Father. The destination is the Father. And then he says, how do you get there? Through me. This is the bit where Jesus says, I think this is the bit where, (laughs) this is where I go space. This is a bit where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so yet again, through Thomas's questions, one of the most fundamental answers and teachings of Jesus comes through. Thomas speaks out, and a core belief is revealed about Jesus' teaching and his life mission. The last one before we round up. The most famous one. Thomas the Doubter. So we've had brave Thomas. We've had inquisitive Thomas. We've had loyal Thomas. Does he really sound like he's someone that's going to just doubt? This character's built up. And we come to this label of doubt in Thomas. And we come to the point where Jesus himself has been crucified. Disciples are scattered. Jesus has been crucified. He's gone. The rabbi is dead. The one that they were becoming like, dead. I've experienced loss through death in my family. You don't expect them to come back. You don't. No one was expecting what was going to happen three days later when Jesus rose from the dead. No one. Even though he'd alluded to it, not one person was sitting there saying, okay, three days, he's going to turn up in a minute. Not one person, not one disciple was expecting that. As you read, you read the women who reached the tomb first to find Jesus gone, didn't know what was going on. They were afraid and confused. Mary thought that someone had stolen the body. The other disciples, the apostles, didn't believe the women when they talked about it and said their words were like nonsense. No one rises from the dead, especially after hanging from a cross for hours and being speared in the side to make sure that you die and you die a bit quicker. No, one, no one's going to survive after that. And in John 20, 19... Jesus turns up while the disciples all are gathered together in a room in fear for what the Jews might say because Jesus' body had gone missing. Have they taken it? At that point, Jesus turns up and says, peace be with you. And he proves that he has risen again from the dead. The only problem is Thomas wasn't there. He was somewhere else. No one actually knows where he is. A week later, oh no, the disciples go to Thomas and they're like, right, okay, Thomas, we've seen him. And Thomas is like, not on your life. Not a chance as he raised from the dead. I am not going to rely on your words, what you're trying to tell me. You can, you can, and these are trusted friends. He did not believe them. I don't know if that's doubt. I don't know what it is. I just struggle with that name, with the Thomas I've already known. Unless I see the wounds in his hand and put my hand or fingers in his side and we are talking proof, I will not believe you. A week later, they're all gathered. This time Thomas is there. Jesus enters the room, 
Peace be with you, he says. Thank goodness he says that because I'd be freaking out. Peace be with you. The first thing Jesus says is this. Thomas, this makes me cry. (laughs) It does. Thomas, come here, mate. Put your hand there. That's not makeup. That's not some weird prosthetic that you get in Hollywood. That's a nail wound. Touch my side. Thomas, do you believe? My Lord and my God, yeah, I do. I do. That's the proof I needed, Jesus. That's all I needed. The stuff that these people have said was all right, but I needed to know from you yourself, are you real? Did this happen? And Jesus comes through. And do you know what Jesus said? Blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen me. But how much more blessed are those that believe in me and haven't seen me? And that's, that's you lot. If you believe in Jesus, then you have said, my Lord and my God, he says, how blessed are you that you have come to believe that, even though you haven't physically seen him in the way that Thomas has. Let's round up. And now I'm going to get you just to do something for five or ten minutes. Are you all right? Are you with me? Thomas the brave, the loyal, Thomas the inquisitive, Thomas the doubter. But really, he just weren't going to rely on the words of people around him. He wanted to know from God himself that this had happened. And once he had, that changed everything. Let's round up. Thomas the brave, the loyal, the inquisitive, the questioner or doubter. However, whatever, however you want to describe it, doesn't really matter. Jesus and Thomas encounter each other along the way in a journey. It wasn't a one-off. This is a thing that happened between them relationally. When I look at Thomas, I see myself and I met so many other people like him. Here's a man who wanted to know the truth about so much and he isn't going to settle for the words of others around him. He's a truth seeker. But what we learn from Thomas is that if you want to find the truth and deep truth, there's a couple of things we might need to do. We might need to, we might need to be brave and loyal. Brave in the face to do the things that you might not want to do. Truth about yourself, about others. You might have to be willing to face the possibility that you may need to lose some of your own viewpoints to follow the way of truth, a new way. That's brave. It's loyal to someone else and not just what you want to do, but loyal to someone else. There's a bravery. It's not easy at times. And this is the way of truth, and it takes loyalty. Will you stick with what's right in the face of temptation? Thomas was brave enough when it came to Lazarus, but don't forget, where was he when Jesus died? Did his bravery sustain him that whole time? I'm not sure. What I mean by that is, here was a man that was still absolutely human and got it wrong. He's not perfect. Thomas the inquisitive for truth. Don't be afraid to ask questions. No one has it all together. And Jesus doesn't expect you to have it all together. That's the point. More than anything, I think Jesus wants us to be honest with ourselves in the face of others and just admit when we don't know something. And we come to him and ask, 
and we want to find out what's true. Rise above the fear of what others think of you in the quest for what's true. Question stuff. If you've been told off for not knowing something, especially if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time, someone's told you off and said you should know that by now. Can I be really blunt? Tell that voice to shut up. Accept where you are and keep moving forward. Keep growing. If you don't know it, you don't know it. No point in hiding behind the fear. Ask your questions, but be brave to act on and be loyal to the truth that you find. The last bit, doubt of questions, doubt and questions for truth. Doubt is okay, but it all depends on what you do with it. If you become a seeker of truth and are genuinely open to answers, then that's a good thing. If you're purely a skeptic and just up for an argument, I'm not quite sure if you're going to get anywhere. Be open with doubt. Don't be ashamed of it. And be honest like Thomas and work out what it is you need to believe. And we have Jesus in this, the rabbi, the teacher. What does he show us about himself? Jesus opens up a world in a totally new perspective. He widens out viewpoints by bringing truth where it's needed. And he shows us he can cope with our questions and our doubts and our loyalty and our disloyalty. And we can follow and trust him. But he shows us it's going to cost us, that we will have to sacrifice different attitudes, worldviews, viewpoints along the way. But he always leads us into truth, and this can only do us good in the long run. So be yourself like Thomas. We heard this statement the other week. Don't be fearful in the face of the judgment of other people, but be honest in the face of love with a rabbi who wants you to grow and learn from him and experience life to its fullest. The truth is we don't have the answers, and that means you need a teacher. You need someone to learn from. You need someone who's going to be brave enough to bring you truth. No. So follow Jesus. No. I've got questions. That's the point. I've spoken for long enough. The last five minutes before we go and have tea and coffee. Have you got any questions, mate? Is there questions coming up? The last five minutes before we go for tea and coffee. Have a chat around one of these questions with a group of people. Okay? Do you recognise anything of yourself in Thomas and Jesus' encounters? Second question. With your own honest questions, are you fearful in the face of judgment? In other words, are you open about your questions or worried about what people might think of you if you have questions? Or are you honest in the face of love with those around you? Can you be yourself with those questions? Number three, how is that kind of love expressed and what does it look like? Is that all right? Five minutes. Thank you for listening. You've been very patient. Have a chat through those five minutes and then we'll be done and we'll go for coffee. Go for it. Make it noisy. It's okay. Have a chat. If you've got any questions, be honest about it.